Well, hello again. A special greetings to those who are viewing uh, via our live stream. Thank you uh, for uh, continuing to uh, take time to be with your brothers and sisters and to be with uh, those who are leading our service, even though it be uh, virtual. Uh, you uh, are missed. But thank you. We're looking this morning at Mark's Gospel in chapter 4. In chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, we have several uh, parables, and so we're making our way through these parables. We're going to look this morning at three. I know that sounds like way too many, but uh, bear with me. Mark chapter 4, and we will uh, begin at uh, verse 21. A little theologians, I'm very glad uh, that uh, you are here. Uh, I'd like for you to draw for me uh, a picture of something that really you don't remember. I remember when my kids had ice cream for the first time or uh, had uh, a big uh, dose of sugar for the first time, like a, you know, a Coca-Cola for the first time. I remember the, the expression on their faces, well, except for one child who doesn't like uh, uh, carbonated drinks. But that excitement of just doing this thing for the first time, and uh, you don't remember that. You're too young. But think of something else in your life that you remember doing for the first time. Maybe it was a, a, an airplane ride, a travel someplace, you know, something for the first time, and how exciting that was. I'd like for you to draw a picture of that. But for me, I, I'll never forget in seventh grade when the first time I saw an Alfa Romeo GTV. So for me, that is meaningful. But you're just going to have to go home and look that up. But try and think about that time, because we're in a year right now where we're beginning to fool ourselves. 2020 has been so difficult where we fool ourselves and think that maybe God is not at work. Maybe God has hit the pause button for this one year. But he hasn't. He continues to work. We are the ones who have grown dull of heart. God is working right now. His kingdom is unfurling in the world. That's exciting. Little theologians, draw for me a picture of something in your life that you remember as exciting. Well, again, our passage is Mark uh, chapter 4, and we will uh, begin at verse uh, 21, but please first join me in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we're humbled that you would continue to speak to us. We need you to speak so often, so frequently, it's no wonder you don't get bored at always having to repeat yourself. But you don't. Your word is powerful and your speaking is persistent and we're so grateful. Father, would you again speak to us, help us to understand you by your spirit. Thank you for doing that this morning and as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. 
He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, and yet it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of our Lord. Everything that you've heard is familiar, isn't it? At least for most of you. We've heard these parables before. And the parables, uh, I hope, uh, make you excited. There's something uh, great and wonderful that's happening in these parables. But in order for us to see that excitement, I think it's important for us to pay attention to uh, how these parables actually show an awful lot about human limitation. Uh, Jesus here again tells us to hear, to pay attention. Again, he says that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus himself seems to know how hard it is for us to understand how God works in the world. And the real problem, though, is this. We don't actually understand how hard it is to understand how God works in the world. Jesus has to actually uh, humble us. This is always the way it is. We think we know everything about how God works. We think we get what he's doing. And when we look around us and we see things negative that are happening, we we already think that we have some kind of way of understanding that negative thing that is happening. You know, the parable as a form of literature is actually suited to arrogant people because a parable actually stops us in our path. It it makes us think. It challenges the the things that we think that we understand. And and, uh, by the Holy Spirit, the parable uh, coming from the lips of Jesus uh, actually uh, changes our understanding, humbles us, and gives us clarity. Uh, Parables, they humble especially those who think they've got God all figured out. You see, the way God works in the world is not a matter of us sitting upon our little thrones, uh, analyzing the problems of the world, uh, looking into culture and politics, uh, and then uh, plotting out a solution using churchy, Christiany language so that we can understand everything that's happening. That's actually not how God wants us to live our lives. We're to live our lives in such a way that we find our confidence in understanding more and more that God is in charge, that God knows what's doing, and he is doing it. That's where our confidence should come from. And the same is true for our comfort. Uh, Even as we look around us and we see things that that cause uh, sometimes inconvenience, but sometimes suffering and sickness. But our comfort is not in all of those things going away. Our comfort is knowing that God knows what he's doing, and he is doing it. And the same is true for our courage and for our hope. We as Christians aren't called to have courage because we've figured things out. We understand the way the world works. We find our courage in God 
He is the one who gives us courage because he is the one who has all of the weaponry and the armament that we might be able to deal with what's happening in the world today. You see, when things don't work the way we want, we become timid and anxious. And what these parables are telling us to do is to behold God as at work. What is God doing in 2020? What is God doing in 2021? Just think about that. Is that a hard question to answer? This passage tells us this is what God's doing in 2020. It turns out that God is unfolding his kingdom reign, and he's unfolding that kingdom reign actually without consulting you and without consulting me. But because he's doing it that way, our confidence can be real confidence, and our comfort can be real comfort, and our courage can be real, com- real courage, because it comes from knowing and trusting Jesus. The parables are so helpful to get at the root of our thinking that we understand when we really don't. We need to sit and listen You see what happens with parables, first of all, this is where we'll begin. We'll begin by just a quick review of the power of parables. Parables have the power to make us slightly off balance. They don't crush us, but they unsettle us. Just look at this uh, example here. Who do you think the audience is? Who's Jesus teaching? He says in verse 21, he said to them, who's them? I believe you have to go back to verse 10, and then you find the them of verse 21. When Jesus was alone, says verse 10, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Those around him with the twelve. The twelve we understand. These are followers of Jesus who have been told about them in Mark's gospel thus far. These are the ones who are sincerely committed to following Jesus, but then there are uh, those who are around him, uh, those who aren't the twelve. Who are they? I wonder if Mark leaves us to wonder about uh, this audience so that we might think that the audience that Jesus is teaching these parables to is an audience in which he has sincere followers, committed followers, the twelve who've been appointed and called, but then there are fringe people. I mean, they're there, And so they're clearly curious. And it may be that some of them are very faithful, stout-hearted believers. But we're just not told. There's the disciples, and there's folks on the edge. That's the audience. But second of all, uh, how is this audience then tracking with Jesus as he teaches parables? And look at verse 24. Uh, Keep the audience in mind when you read this. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. You know, we think that this is a warning to outsiders, people who are, who are beyond the pale, not for real followers of Jesus. But Jesus is saying, uh, pay attention to what you hear, even to disciples. Verse 10 is clear about that. This is something that we need, even as Christians. We need this reminder. Pay attention. This is not just for the curious. This is to the disciples themselves. So first, the audience, and second, how's this audience tracking it? Kind of depends, doesn't it? Jesus needs to tell them to listen. And third, and notice this, let's not forget that Jesus, he's a very deliberate teacher. Skip all the way to the end in verse 33, and you get a sense of the tone or the tenor of Jesus. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. Many such parables. What is Jesus doing? He's teaching, and he's teaching, and he's teaching. Then what is he doing after that? He's teaching again. This is Jesus, that persistent sower. 
with many such parables he taught them. And then listen in verse 34, uh, privately to his own disciples, he explained uh, everything. He explains things. He's not trying to be a secretive and obscure. He is manifesting himself. This is what we hear in the parable of the Lamb. But what we need to understand is that uh, to know what Jesus is teaching is a matter of uh, sitting before him and listening to him. He is the one who will explain that which he's teaching. What does he do in Luke 24 when the disciples, uh, they're struck with grief? Jesus, he's died. Well... Jesus turns them to the Old Testament and he explains everything, doesn't he? What a wonderful teacher we have in Jesus. So the audience is mixed and they're tracking to varying degrees, but Jesus, he's such a deliberate teacher, he is there uh, to teach and he teaches in this context of relationship. But let's dive into the first parable, verse 21, the lamp. I think that really what this parable is telling us is how it is that people work. Would you like an owner's manual for yourself, how you work? I think that's what's happening with the parable of the lamp, how people work. Really, just look in front of you. How long is this parable? It's, It's really just one verse. Verse 21, it's just one verse. So what's everything that's surrounding that one verse, that we might understand that one verse? Well, it's a lot of instruction to people who simply refuse to pay attention and need to be reminded of that. Isn't that wonderful? Right there. And the parable is about light. And if you, if you uh, look into the Old Testament, light's often this image of revelation or disclosure. Uh, the, the light is an image of God making himself known. In fact, in the, in the wilderness, the light is the uh, light that actually guides people. God's pillar of fire, says the prophet Nehemiah. And it, even in ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, light was a sign of understanding What was Daniel known for? Even in a pagan culture like Babylon, Daniel was known as that man who has understanding and wisdom and light. And Psalm 119 says uh, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So light over and over again in the Old Testament is is, uh, actually not an obscuring, it's a revealing, it's making things known. And here in the very pinnacle of that revelation of God is Jesus himself. Jesus is that light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is that light of the world that whoever follows me, almost echoing the words of 119, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I want you to pay special attention to how this parable begins in verse 21. I want you to notice that the light doesn't just appear. Look what happens in the beginning of the parable. The lamp has been brought in. It's been brought in. And that ought to more than echo Jesus as the one who's born into this world. God, uh, in his great will, uh, brings Jesus in that he would be the one light that makes all things visible. And if you uh, look in, uh, in uh, more of this passage, you see that one verse is devoted to the parable itself, but four verses are devoted to describing how it is that people work. Jesus here is described as a lamp. Uh, A lamp would be very common. It would fit in the palms of an individual's hand. It's humble. It's ordinary. And yet here, Jesus comes in, and look what happens to the lamp. Should the lamp be put under a basket, under perhaps a measuring cup, maybe that reference? 
Should a lamp be uh, put uh, under a bed, which is uh, even harder? A, a bed isn't raised. A, a bed is, is on the ground. The mattress is. Would you, would you shove that lamp underneath a mattress even though uh, it will fit? Really what this parable is about is about our refusal to listen to God's revelation through Jesus. And it may be, remember before we began with the parables, remember what was happening in the ministry of Jesus. Opposition against Jesus is rising higher and higher and higher. Things are growing so intense uh, that even within the family of Jesus, there seems to be some doubt and reservation about his, his leadership. And some suspect that the, that the ones who are covering that lamp are the ones who are shoving that lamp underneath a mattress. Uh, those are the members of that uh, rising opposition. It may be a form of legalism. The law is better than Jesus. It may be ceremonialism, that ceremony and formalism is better than Jesus. But it could also be us. Remember who Jesus is speaking to. You remember? Disciples. He speaks this way to disciples, reminding them to pay careful attention to that light, reminding them of those times they think they might be able to simply, well, cover the light with a basket or shove it under the bed. Well, pay attention, Jesus says. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The word for measure is like a unit, a length or a height or a volume. And, and it turns out that there are some people who are going to put more effort, a larger measure into hearing than others. And Jesus says to them, to what he hears, still more will be added. And this is how light works. And nothing is seen for what it is unless Jesus, he's placed on the lampstand. And when he's placed on the lampstand, everything around that lampstand, it looks different. When we believe in Jesus, we see everything through that light of Jesus. Not just everything out there, but everything inside of me as well. I know myself when Jesus is on that lampstand, when his light is believed in. 22 says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus is that light. He is the one who makes everything known. One of the challenges with looking at parables in the New Testament is the fact that parables require effort. And it seems like, well, it seems like that's unfair. Why should Jesus teach in, a, in such an obscuring way? Let's not forget that this parable is not about Jesus' obscurity, but about Jesus' revelation, making things known. But we still feel that it's unfair for him to teach in the form of parables. It's not unfair, though. Jesus teaches in parables, and parables require effort. But the reason that, it, that they require effort is, is it's, not, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's our humanness that we need to recognize. Uh, Isaiah says, uh, our hearts are dull, our ears are heavy, our eyes are blind. Remember that. Our hearts are dull, our ears are heavy, our eyes are blind. We are the kind of people that have a hard time believing all of what Jesus tells us. We listen selectively. We apply selectively. And we can be angry about outsiders doing that, having written Jesus off. But we need to also think about ourselves. When we have done that, we've refused to submit to Jesus, though he's made the will of God known. That we refuse to pay attention to Jesus, and yet Jesus is the one who's walked into the room with the bright light of revelation. 
And think about all he asks of us. Think about all he asks of us. He asks us to hear, to listen, to stop. It's almost as if you can hear Jesus saying to us, put down your phone. That's a little personal, isn't it? But it's all he asks. All Jesus asks for us to do is to listen. Do you still think it's unfair that he would teach in parables? And yet all the while, there are some who will put no effort in hearing. No effort at all. And Jesus says what he has will be taken away. There will come a time when there will be a price paid for refusing to merely stop and listen and think about what Jesus is saying, how Jesus understands the world and how Jesus understands you to habitually deny to hear. Well, that habitual denial can pile up and pile up and pile up. And I pray that it doesn't pile up to the very day that you leave this present age. Well, there we are, how humans work. We're the kind of people that take that wonderful light that has come to us and we seek ways to cover it up. But then look at the parables that follow. The parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. I already said, I want to take these together. We've talked about how, how, how humans work. How about how God works? And these two parables are very, very simple. Most parables are. But they're also very similar and both of these parables are about the kingdom of God. Verse 26 and verse 30, the introduction of these parables, they're clearly about the kingdom of God. Do you remember Jesus beginning his preaching ministry in chapter 1 of Mark? He says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Sometimes we think that Jesus comes uh, merely as, uh, as one to offer a better philosophy for our lives, a competing philosophy that's better than all the others. But there's more than that, that Jesus comes to show us that the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, Jesus comes to inaugurate the kingdom of God. To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, he says in verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Do you think that's in reference to Jesus' birth? To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Is that a reference to Jesus' birth? Coming into the world, not to be served, but to serve to you has been given. That's interesting language in verse 11. But the kingdom of God, as we've said before, it's not about geography. It's not about a territory uh, that, that God has uh, come and that God is marking out uh, land and he's putting up fences. It's not about territory. It's about the rule and kingly power of God. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was expressed through this uh, ethnic family that became a, a model family and a family that would serve to multiply over the surface of the earth. Uh, uh, in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God uh, then happened through this nation, and a nation was to be a role model to other nations, but it was to be a role model that pointed to God and his care for humanity. But here in the New Testament, in the Gospels in particular, the kingdom of God is expressed in personal salvation as well as the life of the church. God promised that he would uh, make himself known through a new covenant. In the Old Testament, he promised that. And then Jesus comes and Jesus says that I am that new covenant. My blood is the blood of the new covenant. Over and over and over again, uh, Jesus says that when a person repents and believes, he or she what? 
they enter the kingdom of God. When we think about God's rule, we think about God's rule through a belief in God, through Jesus Christ. But we also think about God's rule in more and more people believing in Jesus and that kingdom reality became, becoming more, uh, made known uh, more and more in the world. We can think of the life of the church. The church is a great gift to the world populated by those who have entered the kingdom of God. And then the church, even as an institution, shows that reign of God in the lives of a corporate body. At the same time, the kingdom of God is a reality far beyond uh, the individual. It's an intensification of God's revelation of Jesus from his incarnation and death on the cross all the way to the second coming and beyond. That kingdom is not complete today, but that kingdom is inaugurated today. This is God's powerful reign. What is this reign like? This is what the parables do. Both of these parables tell us three things about the kingdom of God. First, the kingdom of God is dynamic. Second, the kingdom of God is guaranteed. And third, the kingdom of God is independent. It's dynamic. I mean, if you were to say one thing about each of these parables, you would have to say uh, the, the parable is about change. Verse 26 is an example. A man, he scatters uh, not tons of seeds. He scatters one seed. Isn't that funny? One seed. And then that one seed uh, sprouts and grows in verse 27. In verse 28, the earth or soil actually produces the first blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. And then in verse 30, it becomes ripe and then it's ready for harvest. Do you, do you just see that? All of the steps of that one seed, it's like a flow chart for that single seed. And the same thing with the mustard seed. The mustard seed is sown on the ground and it becomes larger, so large that it begins to put out branches. And it's almost like we have this, uh, this uh, environmental documentary about how seeds grow. Uh, here, Jesus is giving all of the steps of what happens to that seed. Why? Because the kingdom of God is dynamic. It's changing. It's growing. It's expanding. It's maturing. And it's, it's that, prop, the, that proportion that's emphasized, something that's so very small like a mustard seed gets so very big, largest in the garden. The kingdom of God, it's dynamic. But the kingdom of God is also guaranteed. You notice that in the parable of the sower, we saw 75% uh, of the time real struggle with the seeds. And then at the very end, the seed hits good soil. Just one of those soils produce uh, great uh, bounty. But here, the kingdom of God is guaranteed to such a degree that uh, not, no longer the spotty work of the sower from the parable of the sower. Here, one seed is guaranteed to do exactly what that seed should do. It will make fruit, and that fruit will be ripe, and that fruit will be ready for harvest, and that fruit will be worth harvesting. It's guaranteed. The same thing with the mustard seed. It will grow to such a degree that it outgrows the other plants in the garden. The kingdom of God, it's not merely dynamic. The kingdom of God is secure. It's guaranteed. It will come to, come to fruition. And then finally, the kingdom of God is independent. Do you notice how small man shrinks in these parables? You and I, we really shrink in these parables. Notice that the man who scatters in verse 26. The one who scatters actually seems to disappear in involvement. That's why I think that the one who scatters here is not the same scatterer in the parable of the sower. 
I'm not sure that this refers to Jesus like it does in the parable of the sower. Here, we're just given a man who scatters. But notice his involvement. He sleeps and rises night and day. He's actually ignorant as to how the dynamism of the kingdom works. Uh, He's ignorant as to how the guarantee of the kingdom works. Uh, In that parable of the seed that grows, uh, the human agency actually gets really, really small. And then you get to the parable of the mustard seed. The sower is not even mentioned. Uh, The seed, it makes this large plant, but the sower seems almost invisible. And then birds come as if the birds have been commanded to be there. A a man can't command those birds to come. And then the sun rises and it produces heat and the birds are in need of shade. And so they have shade with this plant. But the sower isn't even mentioned. He's small or she's small. The kingdom of God is dynamic and guaranteed and independent. Well, what are we to take from this? Welcome again to the year 2020. You need to know and I need to know that God is at work. He does work. And it's hard to measure him. It's hard to understand how that's happening. But the kingdom of God is growing in influence. One way we see this is in personal faith. Are you growing as a Christian? Another way we might see this is the conversion of others. Has anything happened that stops the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the good news of the gospel? Has anything happened that prevents that? We still have an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. And we also see this in the life of the church as we go into the world with the gospel. Do you think that the church is completely and totally handicapped by 2020? I don't. The church is here, ministering, caring, perhaps walking uh, with a bit more of a limp than ordinary. But God is at work individually and corporately in the life of the church. People of God continue to multiply. The gospel continues to go out. I mean, look at that promise at the end of the parable, the mustard seed. This reference to birds uh, coming to the tree, uh, to uh, live in the tree and to live in its shade. This is an Old Testament reference of the uh, goodness of God to the nations that the promise made to Abraham is a promise that's meant to go out, that's meant to multiply and touch the lives of others. Welcome to 2020, but God is at work. Don't even think of denying that, though perhaps the evidence is harder to see. And not only that, God's work is just as guaranteed now as it always has been. Here is a promise that he will produce and bring in the harvest. He will make sufficient branches for those birds. He is working right now, and he will accomplish that work. He's bringing it to completion Nothing will stop him. Jesus, he will come again. And all of the doubts and the anxieties and the worries of the year 2020 will pale in comparison to the glorious face of Jesus showing the light of God. His work is guaranteed. And finally, this kingdom uh, will always, always highlight our confusion, uh, highlight our great dependence upon God for understanding, uh, highlight His power as well as it highlights our own weakness. We don't understand how the seed grows. We don't understand that. But for the Christian, that's okay. 
You see, some of us expect evidence of God's kingdom in very unlikely places and in many ways very sinful places. We're looking for evidence of God's kingdom in political and cultural terms. And if we don't see it there, in our hearts we fool ourselves into thinking that God's kingdom is on pause. Sometimes we look for evidence not in politics or in uh, cultural territory. We look for evidence uh, in lives that we can live without sickness and without suffering. And yet there is sickness and suffering, and that seems to us evidence that God's kingdom's on pause. But it isn't on pause. And some of us also expect evidence of God's kingdom at work in the accumulation of wealth and happiness. And maybe that's not happening. And again, maybe we think the kingdom is on pause. And so if you can admit any of that at all, even just a tiny bit, then you see how wonderful it is that the kingdom of God, the expansion, the dynamism, the security of God's kingdom is a work that happens without consulting you and without consulting me. You don't make this kingdom dynamic. God does. Nor do you make this kingdom secure. God does. He works independently for his own glory. Yes, that's hard. We're pushy, aren't we? But it's beautiful at the same time. We can lay aside our worry and anxiety, our fear and our uncertainty because God is at work. He's promised that and he'll bring that work to completion. And you, you don't have to do it. He's unfolding his kingdom. Now then, where should our confidence and our comfort and our courage come from? Where should it come from? Especially this year. It should come from knowing and trusting Jesus. That Jesus, he is the revelation of God's will. He is the one accomplishing God's plan to save us individually, but also to lead us as a collection of his children into the age to come. And just as we think of these two parables, our participation in the dynamic of the kingdom, in the guarantee of the kingdom, and the independence of the kingdom is in one single way. It's listening to and believing the message of Jesus. Now, in that regard, 2020 is a gift to us. Removing those other things that we might place our trust in, that we might know that we are the kind of people who trust one king alone and so we're reminded to stop and to listen and then again we're reminded to stop and to listen to that message to believe and to know that we have entered that kingdom and that it's a kingdom of God's own will I don't get to be the boss there and we participate in the dynamic of that kingdom as the light of Jesus is shining out upon everything that we think and we say and we do in the world we have an opportunity with our lives to shine forth the message of Jesus. This sounds so simple, doesn't it? We want to do so much more politically and culturally. But here we are as a people who actually have the light of Jesus and we uh, employ that light in our own lives and we employ that light in showing the message of Jesus to others. We glory in the success of this kingdom, not by owning the kingdom, controlling the kingdom, but but by trusting God. We behold God's work of unfolding his reign more and more and more. And and, and have we grown bored? Or have we grown grown distrustful? 
You see, this parable does what parables do from the lips of Jesus. They actually floor us and then build us up freshly in that process of, the, of uh, learning more and more about God is a process in which we find our confidence and our comfort and our courage afresh over and over and over again. God, He reigns, and He's reigning right now, and that reign is independent, and that reign is our great dependence. Now, it's one sermon, right? And we're sitting in one very confusing year. But I want you to take to heart that God is at work. And while we're frustrated by the events of this year, God isn't. His kingdom is always dynamic. His kingdom is always guaranteed. And it's always independent of us. A little bit painful, perhaps, but a glorious truth of what it's like to live as a Christian, even in 2020. Well, let's join in prayer, shall we? Our Father, we actually do give you thanks for this year. You know what you're doing. We trust that you know what you're doing. You will not, Heavenly Father, squash us. You instead are doing all things for your glory and for our good. O oh, Holy Father, thank you for your work in the world. Continue your work for your own namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.